0: welcome to listeners advisory the san diego public library podcast it's spooky season at sdpl on today's show we dive into the paranormal and explore how haunted spaces affect us in our personal and professional lives so stick around this should be fun
1: It is 9.29 a.m. The Central Library, a formidable nine-story building, is eerily silent. From the second floor, all that can be heard is the drone of the escalator and distant shuffling noises of staff shelving books. Librarians wait at the desk for customers. The clock ticks to 9.30. From the balcony overlooking the lobby, doors are opened by security. The patrons waiting outside the glass doors and windows for the last several hours spill in and file up the escalators and elevators to the floors where they may spend the next eight and a half hours. From the second floor reference desk, tired eyes appear, one pair at a time, up the escalator as people shuffle in and fill chairs, computer desks, and book aisles. The library is awake and alive, in our own ways. We are all unquiet spirits who haunt this space. My name is Azalea Ebbeye and I'm a branch manager at the Skyline Hills Branch Library in Southeast San Diego. My name is Lydia Bringerud and I'm a librarian at the Chula Vista Public Library Civic Center Branch. Azalea and I are librarians and friends. We're lovers of Halloween and often see connections between all things spooky and our own professional lives. To further explore this idea, we decided to speak with SDPL's very own Paranormal Investigator.
2: My name is Timothy Mountain. I'm a Library Assistant 2 at the Oak Park Library. Uh, My group that I belong to is a locally based group. It's called Pacific Paranormal Investigations. Uh, we go around to the libraries and we do lecture series. We get phone calls from now again and again for uh, investigating private residences. And uh, we also like to check out historic landmarks.
3: When Pacific paranormal investigations analyze a suspected paranormal activity, they try to see if there are physical phenomena or psychological influences that explain why people thought they saw something paranormal. Typically, an investigation involves interviewing clients, conducting a site visit, making observations and recordings, and logging any
1: occurrences over the course of several nights and throughout various times of the day. As we learned, there are things in common between paranormal investigation and library work.
2: you got to have research. you got to know where to find the information, too. If you are investigating a a place, you get as much information as you can before you go into that place. Find out its history. Find out if you can go down to the courthouse and see how many people have have owned the place. If it's historical, see if there are any uh, bibliographies or uh, historical books on the place and and make sure that you read them. And and also, if you can have the team read them too, because once you're going in, if you are going into this place with as much information as you can, you can make a better assessment of what you are experiencing and also not scare yourself. (laughs) What library resources have you
3: used just in the course of paranormal investigation to help
2: do your research? Well, definitely biographies. Say if you're going to be going to uh, one of the famous places around San Diego that have historical value, uh, you might want to uh, pick up a book about the uh, people that happened to live there at the time. These also could help you with triggers too. Say uh, like the Whaley House. You know that uh, one of the Whaley's had a dog named Dolly Varden. By finding out that, say, uh, a place has a person and they were really attached to like an animal during some of these investigations that you're sitting there and you're recording, you might want to bring up the dog. Hey, I heard that you had a dog. Could you tell me the name of the dog? Or could you tell me, could you describe the type of dog it was? Or you might even want to call out the dog. Maybe you might get a bark on your recorder. Things like this are good to have. Um, there are some books that you can get in the uh, that are on ghost hunting. Pretty much they're in the 133 area of the library that's dealing with the supernatural and paranormal stuff like that.
1: Have you always believed in ghosts?
2: That's an interesting question and um, kind of walk the the fine line on believing in ghosts. We don't believe in ghosts, and yet we don't not believe in ghosts. Most of the investigations that we take, some stuff might indicate something is paranormal. Uh, most times it's not.
1: How does your group conduct an investigation?
2: Well, first and foremost, get your clearance to conduct an investigation. There's a lot of people that, that do this and they will trespass. And now you broke in, maybe you set off some alarms, some police show up, you know.
1: Tim's group makes use of such technologies as audio recorders, cameras, Geiger counters to measure radiation, and EVP, or electronic voice phenomena, recorders. They look for correlations among these devices
2: reviewing the tape and the recording at the same time, it would give more uh, substance and validity to what we just experienced.
1: Does your group
2: involve sensitives or psychics? Um, what is a sensitive or psychic? There are people that have talent or claim to have talent that you know they can read, uh, they can read rooms, they can smell things, they can hear no, um, voices, they can see things. We kind of like to use them as uh, uh, bloodhounds or fish finders. If they sit there and they go, hey, uh, we're going to be setting up our cameras. And one of them says, hey, over in this corner, I heard something. You might want to set up a recorder over here. You know, I thought I saw something over here in this other room. That that might be a camera. We'll take that under consideration and set it up, you know, um, for those areas. Tim
1: described some hauntings as residual energy, left over from someone's day-to-day life activities. Tim also discussed hauntings as the result of a catastrophic event, such as a plane crash, where the imprint of strong emotion is left behind.
3: The strong emotions that you were talking about, in terms of leaving an imprint, could people still be alive and leave an imprint?
2: Why are cemeteries haunted? The debate goes on. Are the people that are buried there haunting the cemetery, or are the people that are visiting the people that are buried, haunting the cemetery? These people that, you know, the, the hauntings, once again, it's a lot of energy, a lot of emotional energy. Somebody is a dear to you that is no longer here, and you miss them a lot. Emotions and the memories uh, start getting welled up and, uh, you know, permeating the area that you're in. That's a that's possibility that can happen.
1: Something that it occurs to me could be an overlap between library work and paranormal investigation is that there is an aspect of it where you're helping somebody.
2: Yeah well, that's the other thing too is that a lot of people think that there's still a stigma. If I, if I start claiming that I'm seeing ghosts or I'm seeing something, you know somebody's gonna think I'm a nut job, you know if somebody's more concerned about their their house, Uh, being able to explain what they're experiencing in their house to put them at ease. That's a really good thing to do.
1: What are some of your favorite stories from ghost hunting?
2: I've got one that happened to a friend of mine. He's been in paranormal research for a long time at the Whaley house. He knew June Redding, who was the first curator of the Whaley house. Well, without her, we wouldn't have the Whaley house. But uh, he tells a story where he's... uh, He's inside the house and it's rainy and it's cloudy, and he's talking to June. As they're talking, um, they hear the doorbell ring, and she says, oh, Excuse me, you know. And she excuses herself, and she goes over to the door, and she opens up the door, and there's no one there. So she peeks her head out to look down the aisles to see if maybe somebody's on the left or right, you know. No one on the street. There's no one. There's no one around the, the house. It's just empty. So she kind of shrugs and closes the door and turns around, comes back to talk to uh, to uh, to Brian and where they pick up in their conversation. And uh, so it's, they're talking like this, and about thirty seconds into your conversation, she suddenly stops and gets the wide eyed and says, "Oh my god, you heard the doorbell!" And my friend's like, "Well, duh, yes, I heard the doorbell. You excuse yourself." To, uh, to go answer it. And she smiles and says, we have no doorbell. But that's how a lot of this activity, it's, it's real subtle. It's, I'm, I'm still kind of waiting for the, the, the poltergeist movie where they open up the door and everything's going off the hook. Never in my life have I ever had experienced anything like that. A lot of the activity that we experience is, it's real subtle. And if you if you're not trained for it, you won't catch it.
1: Azalea and I had a lot of fun talking to Tim, and it got us thinking more about our roles as librarians. What do ghost hunting and being a librarian have in common? Given this a lot of thought, (laughs) (laughs) and I do think they have things in common because in both cases, we are interacting with what I would call unquiet spirits. You can never know What is haunting a person that you've just met or what you represent to them? For some librarians, that can manifest as sort of a constant wariness, especially around new people. Um, But I know for myself, it is very important to me to try to balance that. Maybe just awareness of my surroundings with compassion, because really you don't know the baggage that someone else is carrying, and you really might be the kindest person that a, that someone else has met all day, or even in a week or longer. Sadly, your answer, is,
3: I guess, it kind of made me rethink my <laughs> mm-hmm. connect, connecting ghost hunting and being a librarian. I was thinking about, say, like, an event happened in the past. And then that's why, uh, you know, something really big, like someone was murdered. Mm, (laughs) And then maybe, like, we'll see traces of that. And then it just makes me think about, like, someone comes into the library. They're, you know, they're a 50-year-old woman. You don't know anything about them. But like you said about the baggage, you know, they're carrying on the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And trauma, I guess, it stays long with us. and. We just have no idea what has happened to people. And we just, I guess you just want to treat people with kindness and gather whatever information you can from whatever they might share with you. Trauma. Mm -hmm. So um, we've talked about how the library can be haunted. What or who
1: else is haunting the library? Absolutely. The effects of social injustice. People who work in libraries will find that some folks hang out in libraries because they don't have anywhere else safe to be, and that means both children and adults.
3: I, I feel like the library, in a way, it's kind of haunted by, by mission creep and just how all these uh, societal issues are kind of like raining down on us, and, and sometimes like librarians are expected to solve problems that are larger than, than us. Sometimes I just feel like we're haunted by the challenges and terribleness of like people trying to exist, just like live, and we're just trying to help them with whatever we can.
1: Azalea, what interactions with patrons have stayed with you and what haunts you about library work?
3: Um, I guess there, there are a lot of situations that I think about still. One event that still lingers in my mind is, was It was like one winter in in San Diego. And uh, I was at the reference desk at the central library on the second floor and a mother with two children approached um, and she asked about emergency shelters. And when shot, like, you know, I could already think about, you know, what she was experiencing. And I was just like, all right, focus on the task at hand. And I provided her with a list of shelters. um, Also because of the time of day and I knew how shelters operated. I started calling the shelter lines, but no one was answering because it was four already. I I don't know. This this was really awful. And I I guess like so she had the information for the next day, but they, there was basically nowhere, like even after calling 2 and one there was nowhere like that I could immediately refer her to. And I just think about how much courage and like humility it took for her to ask this question to a complete stranger. And like, you know, afterwards, I would just in different circumstances, I would just keep researching how I could have done better. What are situations that you think about that have stayed
1: with you? Very similarly to what you said, there are lots of times when I feel powerless in the face of these larger forces or social systems beyond my control. And I think lots of people who choose to become librarians do so because they have this heart to help. and it just guts you when you're not able to help. And I guess a a similar story that I have is I met a gentleman who had just gotten out of prison and he wanted to use library resources because he was very eager to get back into the job market and to fend for himself. And because So many little things rely on other things, right? You can't fill out an application unless you have your driver's license or a government ID. You can't apply for a new driver's license if you don't know your social security number or sometimes you need a birth certificate or things like that. So he needed to get new, uh, definitely a new driver's license but some new copies of those documents. And at the time, there was a government shutdown, So his entire life was on hold in that moment, waiting for the government shutdown to end so that he could get all those documents he needed to move forward. And of course, I could not fix the government shutdown, but all I could do was give this man access to the Internet, you know, and I could see how frustrated he was. And I just really felt that (laughs) very deeply. I think that we can both acknowledge that we're
3: both privileged just in terms of like our backgrounds. Yes. It seems like in a way these hauntings are like kind of forms of guilt. And mm-hmm. I guess I wondered what you thought like like what's our responsibility towards helping people get this information that they need to, you know, get on their way? Information about shelter or like re-entering society. Mm-hmm.
1: How much of the responsibility is on us? I think most librarians would say they give as much information as they're able to. But then, you know, you encounter other kinds of limitations because, say, uh, the process, for example, for getting unemployment is typically an online process. There are many people who struggle to navigate the internet on their own, to navigate a website on their own. So often one need or one particular situation of need starts to illuminate these other cascading needs.
3: While Lydia and I talk about helping people with housing questions, it's necessary to note that the San Diego Public Library partners with the San Diego County Health and Human Services Agency and the National Alliance on Mental Illness to offer an in-house social worker at the Central Library. People ages 18 or older can get information about mental health and housing as well as referrals five days a week. More recently, through a partnership with San Diego State University's School of Social Work, the library is now staffed three days a week by a student intern who is also a trained mental health therapist. Having trained and skilled staff helps support and inform library staff about
1: local service providers and resources. It is 5.45 PM on the second floor of the Central Library. Announcements are being made about the bathrooms being closed. Librarians are making their rounds and encouraging people to check out their materials and make their exits. Some of these patrons will be awake all night outside. Some will sleep in shelters. Some will haunt other places until the library will be open again. It is 5.59 p.m. The building is quiet once again, except for the librarians filing into the elevator to go toward the parking garage. The lights go out. The books alone bear witness to what we leave behind in the library. Our stories, our energies, the detritus of our days, all is quiet until the living returns.
0: That's gonna do it for this second season of Listener's Advisory. Thanks to our guest, Tim Mountain, and guest producers, Lydia Bringerud and Azalea Ebay. As per usual, thanks to Pete Meisner and Luke Kenshaw for contributing original music, and a special, special thanks to you, the listener. We greatly appreciate you tuning in episode after episode as we attempt to spread the gospel of SDPL. For more information on the resources mentioned in today's episode, please see our show notes or visit us at sandiego.gov forward slash Podcast. This podcast is supported by the Library Foundation SD. For more information on the good work they do, visit libraryfoundationsd.org. If you like what we're doing here at Listener's Advisory, please consider sharing our podcast on your social media. Leave us a rating or review via your favorite podcast directory or tell someone you know about us. Thanks in advance.